0: In the summer, we've been going through a few of the Psalms each Sunday, we're going to continue that this morning by together looking at Psalm 32. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there, and as you are, I just want to acknowledge that, of course, we've taken a summer break from Sunday school for those that are in kindergarten and older, and you kids have done great. Uh, Sunday school kickoff is uh, in September. We're really excited about that. Maybe some of you parents are as well. Uh, but thanks, parents, for just uh, bringing them into this space and um, kind of wrangling them a little bit. But kids, you've been good. So uh, I, I do want to give the kids an opportunity to win a ring pop, okay? So you got to be in grade six or down. we got three questions, three ring pops. If we, if we can't get the answer from a, a grade six or down, then, then maybe we'll, we'll increase that. But psalms, okay, kids, maybe you've heard that word psalm. What does it actually mean? What does the word psalm mean? Because it's not an English word, right? Do you know what the word psalm means? Yeah, it's in the Bible. Good job. Do you know what the word means? When we say it's a psalm, what is it? Does dad want to whisper it in your ear? (laughs) He's like, I don't know it though. What do you think it is? What's that psalm? I heard him say it. He got it right, just so you know. I'm going to give you it because you had the bravery to put up your hand and answer, so here you go. All right? So that's right. The, the, a psalm just literally means a song, a sacred song or poem, right? So when we sang those songs, technically those were psalms, right? It's a song to God or a song about God. That's just what a psalm is. Okay. A second question. How many Psalms are in the book of Psalms? How many total? Any kids know? <laughs> the hands are going up. He's like, he's giving it to me even if I, get the, I don't even get the right answer. So I'm going for this. 175. Oh, so close. A little bit lower. 150. 150. What do you say? 150. What do I do now? <laughs> okay. I did not think this through very good. I put it over here. Okay. I do have a third question, but there's not a, You want this? Okay. There, you do. There's not, a, there's not a third ring pop, but I will ask a third question, and if you get it right, I'll give it to you later. Uh, who wrote most of the Psalms? <laughs> Everybody wants a ring pop. <laughs> David. Okay, I owe you a ring pop, just so you know. Okay, good job. All right, we've learned a little bit about the Psalms. Okay, maybe um, you've got your... Bible, open to this one. This is one of those psalms written by David. Psalm 32. It's a very personal psalm, and I'm 100% certain you will relate to this psalm. So let's read it together, and then we'll unpack it. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. He's talking to God. God's hand was heavy on him. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. Now, a little insertion, now those are the words of God, because that happens in the Psalms, kind of goes back and forth. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Now back to David. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in Him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart." So my question for you as we begin is, would you like to be happy? If you go, you know what? I don't think I do. This is your prime opportunity to leave. Because this this morning, you're not going to find anything out of this. It won't be for you. But would you like to be happy? Uh, Good. Then I'll keep going. You know, that first word there, blessed. I don't know what you think when you hear that word, but it's like it's one of those spiritual religious words that feels like it can be kind of detached from my present like emotional state. It's like, man, I feel miserable and I'm angry and I'm bitter, but at least I'm blessed. It's like some out there, and it's not kind of really um, a, a kind of describing a personal experience. And yet, this word you have to know is literally just the word happy. Happy. Happy... So it's a word of exuberance, exuberant emotion. Happy is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Happy is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. Now, David doesn't say happiness belongs to the perfect person. Don't hear that. When he says, happy are those in whose spirit is no deceit, he's not saying happy are those who don't have sin. What he's saying is happy are those who don't try to deceive themselves or God or others about their sin. Who aren't putting on a face, putting on a front. Happiness doesn't mean, it doesn't belong to the perfect person. So here we see happiness belongs to the person with sin and struggle. They are the ones who receive forgiveness And grace. So the point of this uh, psalm, and I think the message here, and we'll just put on the screen, I think it's just going to stay up there the whole time, is this. Don't be slow to repentance and confession, for it is the pathway to happiness and health. We'll unpack this, but don't be slow to repentance and confession, for it is the pathway to happiness and health. What hinders happiness? He's going to describe it here in verse 3 and 4. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, God. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Now, David is getting really personal here. He's talking about his own experience. He's not one of those sort of preachers that gets up there who talks about something that a book says that he doesn't know anything about. He's talking about his own experience and in his experience what had hindered happiness was silence in the face of his sin and struggle and covering it, concealing his sin and his struggle from God and from those around him. He found that is what hindered his happiness, trying to keep all of that out of the view of God and others. And it doesn't say like what, he doesn't identify what had happened in his life that he was trying to keep silent about or trying to cover up. It, it might have been, and if you know the life of David, it, it could be a few things, but it might very well be, you know, that part of his life where he messed up really big, right? Remember, he's the king, King David, his, his, his army is fighting, the enemy, and there he is on the rooftop of his palace, and maybe you know the story, he sees that beautiful woman Bathsheba who's bathing, you know, nude? On the rooftop, and he can see her, and he desires her, and so he summoned, he has someone to go summon her, to call her to himself, and he um, lies with Bathsheba, and uh, takes advantage of her, because you can't say no to the king, right? So, whatever you want to call it, like this is He rapes Bathsheba, and uh, she becomes pregnant. And so now what does he do? Because the husband is out of town. How do you explain a pregnancy? He's out, her husband Uriah is fighting this battle, one of of David's greatest soldiers. And so he concocts this plan. He invites Uriah to come home and and rest and, and to be at home with his wife, and he's hoping that can cover it up, right? Maybe he won't know, it's not his. And, uh, but he's a good soldier and he refused to enjoy his wife while the rest of the soldiers are out on the battlefield sleeping in the trenches. So he doesn't even go into his house, he sleeps on the street. Ah, shoot. So he's come up with another plan, right? And so this takes it to another level. He has his general send Uriah to the very front line where he knows he will be struck down and die. And sure enough, that's what happened. So, in an attempt to kind of cover this up, um, you know, he's, he's someone who commits the sin of um, rape and murder. <clears throat> Those are two biggies. So, maybe he has that in mind as, as all of that kind of bears down on his conscience and he's trying to grapple with the guilt within himself of, these, of his actions. Um, my guess is that you can relate to David. Not because you've done something maybe like that, although maybe you have. But my guess is every one of you this morning, um, you can relate to this dynamic that David describes here. Because you're a sinner. I don't think I'm telling you something you don't know. And you have struggles. And a lot of us, we have this temptation to try to stuff that down, to be silent, to conceal That sin and that struggle, those iniquities is a word he uses. The word iniquity there literally means a bent, right? Like just a natural bent in something. So when a tree grows and you have a prevailing wind, the tree actually grows with a bent. So if you look out my back window, we've got this beautiful patch of woods and they're all leaning to the east, every tree. Why? Because as they grow, the wind normally comes from the west. Every day the wind comes and those trees grow with a bent, That's kind of, it's its iniquity. And so we too, we all have bents, whether that comes from kind of upbringing, generational issues, whether that comes from our own, you know, dispositions and personalities. We also have these patterns, problematic patterns in our lives, as well as these kind of maybe one-off acts of sin and struggle. And David responded to that with silence and concealing, right? silence we can relate to resistance to acknowledge our sin and struggle i think because something i've found in my own life and with my kids and maybe with some other people is the two hardest words to say are the words i'm sorry right those words can be really hard to say i'm sorry And so we can face guilt, a grieved conscience, we can face our sin and struggle with silence, he said, or he tried to cover up his iniquity to conceal it, to hide his sin and his struggle from God and from those around him. This was his response to these things. Why why did he do that and why do we do that? It's probably because there's a part of us that just believes it would be more painful to reveal it would be more painful to speak than it would be to stay silent. So we might have more to lose by speaking and revealing than by being silent and concealing. And so we think maybe we can just try to control that in secret within ourselves, put on a face and put on a front. Maybe it's because of our pride. And I'm sure he was a prideful man. He was the king. Kings don't say, I'm sorry. We can be motivated by pride in that silence and concealing. We might be thinking, you know, because we might lose our identity. We are, I'm rusty. I'm a pastor. I'm the guy that's supposed to have it all together. Whatever that identity is, we're worried that we might kind of lose that identity, lose reputation if we might speak, if we might take out of the darkness into the light things that are sins and struggles in our lives. so, So... due to pride we can conceal, maybe because of fear. You know, the loss of worth that we fear. Like, what if they knew? What if I said they'd probably, they might reject me. I might be devalued, less worthy. They may not love me as much. I better be silent. I better keep the lid on. But what David found is that staying silent doesn't make things easier. But it made things harder because it's hard work, it's hard work to conceal. Those criminals, like sometimes you hear like someone who just walks into the police station and just admits to stuff because they've just been, it's just this bird and you constantly have to be watching your shoulder, scared of what if this comes out, what if that is discovered, what if they find out and they hear, right? And it just becomes this constant weight that you carry around. That's, that's heavy, and he talks about this, right? He's like, your hand, God, was heavy on me. Like My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. My bones wasted away in my groaning as I tried to manage this in secret because it's hard work to hide your sin and your struggle. Unresolved guilt is a heavy thing. It's hard on your mind because guilt stalks you, and you're, a mind with unresolved guilt... Cannot be a mind at rest. Cannot be a mind unafraid. I mean, there's a famous a psychiatrist, his name was Carl Menninger. He said, If my patients knew that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them would walk out of here the next day. I mean, as a psychiatrist, he had diagnosed that a lot of the, the weight on the mind and the heart was coming from this kind of unresolved guilt that was carried. I'll hear my wife talk about it. My wife, some of you know, she's a professional counselor, and of course, she can't divulge things. And I said, "Really? I'll give you a ring pop. Just tell me." She said, "No, I can't do that." Uh, but she will say, "Rusty man, like there are so many people that they come and they're just they're just burdened down with guilt. It's eating them. It's unresolved." It weighs on their mind as they try to carry it alone or they try to justify why they do or should feel that and not do something with that. Like, I don't know about you, but I I find when there's something between Erica and I and maybe I've done something wrong and I sometimes have a tough time saying, I'm sorry, I try to wait it out, maybe she'll say, I'm sorry, first. (laughs) And you know what she normally does? To her credit, but when I—I I don't know about you—but I, I find myself sometimes laying in bed, and maybe there's been some sort of, you know, conflict, and I know I haven't done what is right. I know there's something I have to own up to. I know I have to say I'm sorry, but I—I just—it's so hard to do, and so what I find in resisting that is I find myself, the lights go out, it's kind of silent, it's a little awkward, and I lay on my pillow and I can't sleep good. Because my mind is doing all sorts of these mental gymnastics about why No, it's okay that you feel that way. You shouldn't need to say, I'm sorry. You try to find some justification for why it's okay to be there, but the mind is not at rest. Um, but I've found something incredible, as hard as it might be, at times when I've just kind of owned up to it and said, I'm sorry. You know what happens? I tend to go to sleep better, right? You think I would learn this faster. So he's talking about this weight, this angst on the mind that he's facing in his silence and in his concealing. That has also effect on our relationships, right? Because in order to hide your sin, you have to hide yourself. You hide yourself from God, you hide yourself from others. That's the way it was with the first sinners, right? The first man, the first woman, they sin, and and what do they do? Well, they do a couple of things. They hide from God. They're adamant. He's trying to avoid God. How do you avoid God? Who do you think you are? God finds you, right? But he's trying to hide from God because of his shame, of his sin, and he's trying to hide from his wife, and she's trying to hide from him, and what do they do? They realize they're naked, and they're, they feel shame in that moment, and they take some fig leaves, and they stitch it together, and they cover their shame, right, between one another. There's this hiding from one another because of one's unresolved guilt and unresolved shame. So silence and concealing, when you hide your, hide your, try to hide your sin or your struggle, you end up just hiding yourself. Because it's painful to come to church and see that person or to sing those, sing those words or, or to hear those words about God or from God or come to Him in prayer when you are trying to manage this, whatever this is within yourself. Your world grows smaller, your comfort zone shrinks. You start avoiding and hiding from people. You hear that your spouse shared with her close friends something that's going on in your marriage, and you think you shared that with them. How can I ever look them in the eye? So, so you're—I don't know if you know that dynamic. What do you do? You just—it's so easy to try to pull back. What are they going to think of me? And so we hide ourselves. David thought in concealing his sin and his struggle he could control it, but ultimately it controlled him, right? His pride had become a prison for him that locked him in and locked out all the things that he needed to be free and to be happy. Do you know that feeling? Can you think of a time in your life, and maybe it's a time right now when you can relate to those words of David when he said, in my silence and in my con- in my." concealing. I just felt like my bones were wasting away. I felt like my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Do you know that? I do. So David, he just can't bear it anymore. What does he do? He finally breaks his silence to God. Right? Verse 5. Then I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave. The guilt of my sin. Not just kind of the penalty of my sin. You resolved the guilt of my sin. That big weight that I was carrying around, you released me from in your grace and your forgiveness. So he breaks his silence. He repents. He comes clean to God. And what did he find God doing? God forgave him because that's who God is. God is a God who is quick to forgive. God is a God who delights in and desires to forgive and to give grace. So it's interesting. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, okay, what do they do with their shame? They're naked. We've got to cover ourselves. We take fig leaves. We, we knit the little loincloth together or something. We put it on. And and what does it say God does? So God comes and He finds them, and it's kind of interesting. Genesis chapter 3, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and He clothed them. They were wearing fig leaves of their own making, and He came along, and He, God gave them a better covering. God gave them a covering of animal skin. Now, I don't think it's just because, you know, it's more durable and it's warmer, and it lasts longer. Those fig leaves, they're going to fray in like a week. I'm going to give you some. There is something going on here that would become revealed as the story of God's plan for the world continues and finds its culmination in Jesus, right? Because in that religious system, God had instructed them in in, in an attempt to kind of be in fellowship with God in the midst of their sin to, to sacrifice animals as an offering for their sin, and here God sacrifices an animal to cover them. But, but we know that the, the blood of bulls and goats can never do away with the guilt of sin, but God had a greater plan, right? God sent His Son, Jesus, into the world, the perfect one, to die on the cross as a perfect unblemished lamb and sacrifice to bear the shame of our sin, to bear all the guilt of our sin. God took it on Himself, in His Son Jesus, on the cross. He resolved it. He absolved it. And so here we have a little picture that God has a better covering. We find its fulfillment in Jesus. His blood shed on the cross, His sacrifice on our behalf is all that is necessary for us to receive from God forgiveness and guilt for all of our sin and all of our struggle. So, you know, Paul in Romans 4, he actually uses these verses from Psalm 32 when he's talking about how we are made righteous before God. We are acceptable to God not because of our own works and our efforts, but just through faith in what Jesus has done already for us a gift of grace, a gift of forgiveness that we receive through faith in Jesus. So at VBS on Thursday, because Thursday is the day when the kids hear the gospel message and they're invited to ask Jesus into their heart. And there was a, there was a kid here from the community, a um, uh, you know, 10 or 11 year old girl. And, and uh, she, she, with the help of one of her crew leaders, asked Jesus into her heart and put her, put her life in Jesus' hands. And, and Angela was recounting how, like, there was just this, her face just glowed. It's like this weight had been lifted, that, like this, this realization that there's a God who loves me, a God who forgives and desires to forgive and to release us of those burdens. What happiness. And then she asked for a Bible so she could know more about God. So you can pray for her if you think of her. I like how he continues here. In Psalm 32, in verse 7, he says to God, God, you are my hiding place. You see the juxtaposition there, right? He was trying to hide his sin, kind of for fear of maybe losing his identity, his worth. But now he has found in his repentance and his confession and the forgiveness and grace that God had freely given to him. He'd found that now his he didn't need to hide. God was his hiding place. We hide in God. We find in God, we find in Christ forgiveness and grace that meets all of our sin and all of our struggle that gives us worth no matter what. We realize that we are loved not because of who we are but in spite of who we are that in God there is always grace to those who ask, to those who come to receive. For David... This act, this realization, this repentance and confession brought relief and release and ultimately brought him happiness. So humble repentance is the only way into the kingdom of God. It's the only way. Isn't that what Jesus said? Beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. The only way into the kingdom of God The only way into fellowship with God is by being poor in spirit. It's through humility. Recognizing our guilt and and coming in repentance and confession to receive the grace and the forgiveness that liberates us. It's the only way into the kingdom of God. I love that verse. I think it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Maybe verse 9. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich for your sake, He became poor so that you who are poor might become rich. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, poor people. In His poverty, you who are poor become rich. Humble repentance, David is showing us, is the only way into the kingdom of God, but but it's not just the only way into the kingdom of God. This practice of of repentance and confession of sin and struggle is the only way to actually keep living in the kingdom of God it's the way that we live in the kingdom and 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 for me that I don't think I really fully appreciated that especially as a younger person because I grew up a good Baptist kid right where it's like you only need to ask for forgiveness once God forgives all your sin, past, present, future. So if you like come and you like ask, if you come to like repent or to confess or something, after that one point when you gave your life to Jesus, somehow you're diminishing the forgiveness that's already been given for you. Repentance is something you kind of do once. Confession is something you do once, you know, because you, not, not like that catholic sort of idea that you got to go to that guy every time something happens and he gives you the grace of God when you confess to him although I'm not really sure that that's what that even means in that system, but that's kind of what I had been, I don't really even think it had been said that way, but that's just kind of the way that it was practiced. We didn't really do repentance and confession after that one time when we gave our heart to Jesus. But I think what we're supposed to see here is it's not just the way into the kingdom. Repentance and confession is, the, is, is, is a regular practice, not because we have to maintain credentials with God or we get kicked out. But it's because it's the way that we bring His grace into all those recesses of our life. It's the way that we stay free. It's the way that we enjoy His grace by practicing repentance and confession when and where there is sin and struggle. He says, David, that it was God's hand that was heavy on him. He realized it was... That this whole guilt was actually like God applying pressure on him. I was thinking about that. I think what he's saying is, you know, guilt is a gift. Guilt can be a gift that drives us to God. Like a conscience from our conscience. As people made in God's image, a gift from God, our conscience is a gift from God. But conscience without confession is a curse. To carry things and manage things alone. Conscience without confession... Is a curse. Our conscience is a gift from God, but so is confession. Guilt, in other words, is a gift from God that He gives us to, to drive us to Him to find freedom and to grow and become more godly. So righteousness for repentance and confession are the pathway to happiness and health. And, and I say the word health there too because you know my mind is on the words of James in James chapter 5. He says something interesting regarding confession. He says, therefore confess your sins, this is James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That was a bit of a novel idea to me growing up, like, no, confession and repentance is like this horizontal thing, that's me and God, that's not that's no one else's business. But, but I think what the Bible teaches us and what James is saying here is, it's, yes, it's, it's, it's ultimately, it's what is this? Is this vertical or horizontal? Thank you. Had a moment there. It's vertical, but it's also horizontal. We're called to confess our sins in the context of community and to confess our struggles um, so that we can be prayed for by each other, that we may be healed. And I don't think he just has in mind like physical healing, although I think that's a part of that, that word healing there just means wholeness so that you might be whole, so that your body might be full of shalom, that your mind might be full of shalom, that you might have peace, be whole. He says, if you want to be whole, you need to practice confessing your sins to one another. You need to bring what is in secret. We're trying to manage alone and you need to bring it out of darkness into light in the context with God, yes, but also maybe in the context of the community of God. Because the community of God, the community of grace, you know, we are to be a channel of God's grace into each other's lives. So church, so I, what I want you to know, and maybe you're kind of new to church, church isn't a place where you're supposed to walk in happy. If you walk in happy, that's great. I'm glad you're happy. But it's not the place where you're supposed to walk in happy, where you need to walk in happy. It's not a place where you've got to like put on your best clothes and put on your best face. And act like you've got it all together. That's antithetical to what you're supposed to do, to what the church is, right? We are to come real, not concealed, not hidden, but as we are, we are to come to church as we are, and hopefully, by God's grace, we can leave happier than we came. And I'm not just talking about Sunday morning, what happens here, but I'm talking about the relationships that are the church, because the church is a family, right? I, I remember trying to manage something in my own life all by myself, um, some, some sin struggle, and it, it was such a big weight on me, and, and I, I tried to muster everything I could just to kind of like, just, de- just to deal with it, carry it, and it just, it, um, it plagued me, and it was, it was just this weight, but it was so hard it was kind of so hard to share that with my friend. And I'm so thankful I did. Because I had this good friend. His name is Chris. It was, it still, his name still is Chris. It was Chris and it still is Chris. And um, I, shared it with, I shared this with him. And that confession and that ongoing confession and that ongoing encouragement and that ongoing accountability was absolutely decisive in my life that's God's design, right? So when David talks about confessing and acknowledging, I think he has in mind more here than just the vertical. I think he's talking about the horizontal because the, why we have the psalm, right? Like he did say there, now he addresses everybody else. He knows, he's not just taught, this isn't just a conversation between him and God, he says in verse 6, therefore let all the faithful pray to you. He's talking to other people. I know other people are going to hear this. That's why the psalm exists. This is a message for other people. This is, this is to be an invitation, an exhortation for others who know what I experience to come and to speak instead of be silent, to reveal instead of conceal. And so I think the very fact that this exists, like David has in mind here, that happens. This, this is not just a solitary practice, repentance and confession. This happens in the context of relationship, in the community of God's grace. And I have found in my own life that's absolutely decisive. You need people to whom you can be real, right? You need people to whom you can uncover to whom you can speak, bring that sin and struggle into the light so that you can receive, um, experience the relief of grace in the, from g- given by those around you. Uh, you know, it's sad because it, coming back to Erica, my wife who, who does the counseling, she says, Rusty, um, she says, so many of these people have nobody to talk to. It's sad. They're coming and they're paying me and, you know, I'm going to try to help them. But they have nobody in their life that they feel that they can share with. Yeah, it would feel heavy. You would feel like your strength is sapped. God doesn't want that. And that's why, um, you know, that's why we exist. That's why we exist, right? We are to be that place of grace. And I and I don't mean like that, you know, you got you got to like stand at the front door and go, "Hey, this is my name and this is my sin." You know? Or get up here. it's 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 not it's not announcing it that way. It's but it but it's taking advantage of community, seeking it, finding maybe it's one, maybe it's a few trusted people that carry you that you can come to and you can Share, you can speak and reveal. God wants that for each and every one of us. This church, every church is to be that place, the place of grace. You know, I think how many marriages could have been saved? How many marriages could be saved? How many marriages could be a lot better if instead of being silent and concealing, somebody spoke, somebody confessed, somebody shared their struggle, how many people in destructive habits and strongholds could find those strongholds broken, could find healing if instead of trying to manage it by their self, they find someone with whom they can speak and reveal, bringing it to God, bringing it to God's People, and that's hard to do if you've ever done that. Speaking, something you've been silent about, bringing something in the darkness into the light, lifting the lid can be hard, especially at the start. But as David experienced here, that brings relief. That can bring relief, right? Um, It's kind of like vomiting. Just picture that. I want everyone to picture the last time you vomited. Don't, yeah. I'm afraid someone's going to do it right now, actually, if I keep... You know, there's those, like, really sensitive people who even say the word, and they start getting the gag reflex. Um, I think we've all, we've all known what it's like to be sick to the stomach, and um, uh, you maybe resist throwing up, vomiting, because that's not fun either. That's painful. It can be, and it's messy, but there's, there's, isn't there relief on the other side? Isn't like like after you just after all of that sickness and discomfort, bleh, <laughs> would you like to hear the story of my last time? <laughs> we'll save that for another sermon. But you know what? It brings relief, right? It's not fun. It's probably like, I think this, I think this would help at all, oh, man. Like, I know that's not a pleasant few moments or whatever it's gonna be. But on the other side of that is relief. I think for me that, that's a picture of what David is talking about here, a picture of repentance and confession. And so we who have experienced God's grace, we can now offer it to others who need it, right? Like David said there, let all the faithful pray while God can be found in other words don't delay because there might be a day where it's just too late if you think it's not today another day next week next year there might come a time when you run out of time when something that thing you're trying to manage in your life because you think you, you can do it something happens tomorrow which sets things over the edge and it's too late so he's saying don't delay to repent and confess We can offer that grace to one another. The, the, Paul said, kind of just bringing this to a close now, Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, he said, we have received the, the comfort of God. We who are troubled have received the comfort of God so that we can comfort those who are troubled. I was talking to someone who was up at Silver Bay recently, retired person in our church up at the teen camp and uh, the, the, some of the teens were talking about and this person got some sense of some of the struggles they were going through as teenagers that this person could really relate to and so this person just kind of shared their own story, shared their testimony of going through those things and probably kind of some of the help they found in God to come out of it and and that person in doing that, even, even in the act of sharing that comfort that you had received with those who are troubled um, The act of doing that is a way of finding greater healing. It's a way of finding greater happiness when we share that with others who struggle. And so this isn't just for those who have something to reveal, right, to confess, but those of us who have been there, who have been comforted by God's grace, we are equipped now to be able to be comforters to others. Are we the sort of people that are living to do that? To take that mess, and it would be easy just to lock it away, put it on the shelf. Don't even go there. I didn't like that period of my life. Don't want to think about that. But seeing that God has given us comfort in that thing, and now we can take that, that experience of God's grace, and we can bring that to others who need that. Are you looking to be a channel of grace to others? To bring God's comfort to others? So that travels in both directions. So this is the point of the psalm. Do not be slow to repentance and confession for it's the pathway to healing and happiness. That's the lesson that David learned. Um, What does your path look like? Is your path well trodden because you traveled a lot or is grass growing on it kind of getting overgrown? How is God speaking to you right now um, in this message? Is there something in your life you you can kind of relate to David about here? Is there something you're carrying alone? Something about which you're silent? Something about which you're covering that, that you need to bring to God and that you need to bring to God's people? He says, Don't be like a mule because David, he got caught out the wrong way. Nathan, the prophet, came and he called him out on his sin and it was uncomfortable and it was messy. He says, I was the mule. I waited and waited and waited until God sent that person that called me out and it was really unpleasant. Don't be like me. Don't be a mule. Don't be slow to come to God and to others and repent confession. It is the pathway to happiness and health. So I just want to invite you into a moment of prayer right now um, because prayer is not just us talking to God. It's it's a conversation. It's a dialogue. Um, Before I close us here in prayer, I just want to give you a moment to talk to God yourself. How is God speaking to you? Just listen to God and invite Him. God, what do you want me to do with this word? Maybe God is bringing to your mind some area of your life um, that you've been managing alone. Maybe you just want to ask him, God, will you give me the courage and show me how I can be on that pathway with this? Maybe you've been there and you want to ask God, God, would you show me how I can use this past experience of your grace uh, to be your grace to others? Father, we look to you uh, now and as we go from here, Lord, and and just invite you to continue the dialogue with us. Would you you show each of us, Lord, just very individually, what it looks like to put your words into practice? What it looks like for us um, to seek you out, to call on you, what it looks like for us to experience your grace we're just so thankful that you are that kind of god um, you can forgive rapists and murderers even called david a man after your own heart not because he was especially good or perfect but because he was humble he was humble and repentant and we can be men and women after your heart if we're humble too May that be true of us, Lord. Thank you so much for your grace, which just liberates us, which just allows us to, to face life without fear. I'd have to manage pride or, or the way we project ourselves to you or to others, Lord, because you love us as we are. Um, just, Lord, allow us to live in your grace and to bring it to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.